what it's worth, I smacked myself in the face with a crowbar. <laughs> I'm, I am recording, so I, I I think I may just throw that in as the intro to this week's show. New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time, and I almost said kicking ourselves in the face one word at a time. <laughs> so how did you hit yourself in the face with a crowbar? Well, I was disassembling a pallet, and it wasn't a, like one of those typical pallets that you see, you know forklifted around Sam's Club. This was a pallet of um, constructed out of uh, maybe two by sixes and four by fours. And the nails driven into them were, I don't know, five, five inch nails, four or five inch nails. And so I was pulling it apart to use that wood for something else. And I slipped <laughs> and the crowbar slipped and it hit me in the face. <laughs> I mean, I, it kind of pulled myself up a little bit dazed and confused, and I've got a bruise on my face now. But it's not horrible. I was just, like, thankful I didn't knock out a tooth or something. Where is your bruise? Like, where? It's, like, along my jawline. Okay. So, so does, it hurt you to, does it hurt you to chew? No. No. Uh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I eat a whole lot less. Um, I know it was... I can feel it, but it didn't have that kind of effect on it. I didn't, like, crack anything. Uh, apparently, I'm not strong enough to hurt myself, <laughs> just <laughs> enough to bruise. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to be talking about worldviews and adding them and, you know, when to add them to your story, should you add them to your story, when is it dangerous, that kind of thing. And before we get to that, I want to talk about a, a, an email that Taylor wrote. It was also a Patreon post. Hopefully some of you have read it. If not, we'll link to the Patreon post um, so that you can read it there. But it's a very lengthy piece on on COVID-19 and, and just life right now. And I've, I found it absolutely fascinating, and I cannot believe the amount of time and effort that you put into this and the way that you so carefully for the most part kept your worldview out of it so that it wouldn't offend anyone and that they would read and consume the message that you were trying to to tell that I thread I threaded the needle you did to thread the needle yes you did and that's that's not easy so tell us tell us why you wrote this first Oh, well, I can't get into the why of it without maybe offending people. But um, I, I am kind of in a weird position where my, um, my, real, my work life is very much full of people who kind of hold one particular ideology. And my real life is full and surrounded by people who hold a different ideology. And I am a news junkie and I've done 
a lot of research in the past on pandemics and stuff, just because I'm fascinated by it. Um, end of the world scenarios fascinate me, not because I like to see the world burn, but I kind of like to stay alive if possible. Um, and, and I'm not particularly, you know, I'm not, I'm not a cave person, so I'm not just whenever I can learn to protect, you know, knowledge is power and all that. And so when, when this virus thing first started happening, I was getting most of my news from people who, from not, not from traditional media, from people who were focused on just the health aspects of it. And I started noticing that as time progressed, those two different worlds were having completely opposite reactions to the, this health crisis thing that was happening. And I saw that it would be turning political. And that terrified me because viruses don't give a crap what you think. It's nature. It's science. It's going to do, they're going to do what they do. And I could see that there was a lot of misinformation going around. And I, I knew what I needed to do to protect myself to an extent and what I needed to do to protect my family. But I got... I just felt this incredible burden because so many of my listeners and readers and patrons and friends in these writing communities, my Facebook fans, friends, I mean, it, they're fans. We, we, we communicate, you know, we're, it's, it's a community of people who come from all spectrums, all walks of life, all ideologies. They, there's a lot of old, I don't want to say elderly. In fact, it seems like such an insult to say that, but the age demographic skews towards the older side of things. And I just felt this huge weight that if I held to my principles, my, my own personal principles are I really try and stay away from the noise. I, I don't want to be one more voice. I don't want... There's so much screaming and yelling and everybody trying to convince you that their way of looking at it is the right way, that it is it is overwhelming. Nobody listens anymore. Everybody everybody already knows what they think. All, all the yelling does is make the, the yeller feel good about themselves. I, I've, I've opted out of that because, yes, I have opinions and it's just what's the point in just being one more of that? So I would prefer to accept people as they are. I don't think people are stupid. People make their decisions based on their worldviews, what they feel is fits with their, the way they see the world. And, and our worldviews are framed by so many things, where we live, who we interact with, um, our life experiences, the way uh, things have happened to us personally, uh, things that have happened to the people that we love. For the most part, uh, outside of, you know, narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths and whatnot, most part, people are, as individuals, good. We, we, we don't go around specifically trying to cause harm to other people for the sake of it. For the most part, we try and do the right thing. And it, if nothing else, that's what we're telling ourselves in our own heads. So when someone else comes along and points out what we've done and how awful we are for doing it, we're not going to go, oh yeah, you're right. I really suck. We get defensive and we get angry at the person who's attacking us. 
And we try and find ways to show them how they're wrong. And the whole world has basically turned into an example of that. And I don't want to be that. I want to be someone who doesn't cause more pain. I want to be someone who is willing to say, I might not agree with you, but I agree with the fact that you're a good person and that you're trying your best and this is not worth fighting about. But when it comes to something like this, a health crisis that has the potential to literally kill people that I care about, it felt like holding on to that principle of keeping my mouth shut and just being kind was the wrong thing to do. And so I felt this incredible weight, this burden that I needed to say something and that I needed to do it in a way that maybe people would be willing to listen and not just shout me down thinking that because I said the wrong thing or linked to the wrong news source or whatever, that I was on the other team. Because I'm not on a team. I I really am annoyed by the whole team thing. Um, and And just try and find a way to communicate facts and things to think about for, for, I wouldn't, I'm not trying to change anybody's minds. If they're convinced in what they believe, then believe it. But there's so many people out there who are scared, who are confused, who just don't even know what end is up over this whole thing. And they're panicking right now that if, if I could at least bring some sense of sanity or rationality or logic and, and distill some of that noise down into a steady stream that could be digested, maybe it could help. Maybe it could be helpful at all to somebody and maybe it could even save lives. I don't know. And so that was the purpose behind writing what was, I think, in my history, the second longest email I've ever written. <laughs> second longest post, second longest email. And what was the um, what was the longest? The longest was the the novella of a newsie that okay. discussed my decision to kind of pull away from the publishing industry for a while. Okay. And how close were they in in length? About two thousand words apart, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because this this was a bit of, no, of a novella, and we were joking um, before we started recording about the uh, the length of the. Disclaimer. Disclaimers <laughs> that, that Taylor put in. And, and you guys know, if, if you listen to the show on a regular basis, when Taylor starts giving her disclaimers, I try and short that process up a little bit. And so I found that amusing. But I think, I think all of those disclaimers in this case were necessary to, to, say, the, to say the same thing in different ways uh, so that everybody could, could hear it, I think, or, or read it and, and go, okay, I, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep reading this. But I, I've, I found it incredibly useful. I am not a news junkie, uh, but I have been over the course of the last week. I have watched more news over the course of the last week than I've watched in the last 10 years. And it's, there's so much information that's just coming at you out of, you know, from, from these different directions, and it's really hard to know what to believe. And then you go and, and do a little bit of research, and you check something, and it's this site says one thing, and this other site says something else. Um, it was fascinating to, I mean, you're a really good researcher, and it, it's, it's really easy to go, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm glad to know it. I'm glad to know that. And it's funny, and to a certain extent sad, that when 
I get an email from you that explains this, I'm more inclined to believe that than anything that I've heard through the news media over the course of the last um, week. And that's not to blast one side of the news arena or the other. It's just that every news gathering organization seems to have their own agenda and they keep spinning off into that agenda instead of, you know, they'll go 10 minutes of like, this is really important stuff. You really need to understand it. And then all of a sudden they veer into the ditch of politics. Yeah. And that's, I think, why those disclaimers up at the front were so important to me, because I wanted people to understand where I was coming from, because that would give them the ability to decide whether they wanted to read any further or whether they wanted to hear what I had to say or not. Like, if you could just understand, here's here's my bias, here's where I'm coming from, I'm laying it all out on the table, then you can decide what you want to do with that. But when I was writing those disclaimers, I had Steve in my head going, <laughs> okay, let's cut these short. Let's cut these. <laughs> it's too much. You've said that before. Ha ha. Taylor with her disclaimers. <laughs> so, uh, but they're still there. But I, I, before we get into today's topic, I, I just wanted to suggest for anybody who hasn't already read that post or email, because it went out in, in multiple avenues, um, maybe take a few minutes to read it because, um, I, I'm not there to change anybody's mind, but I, I am trying very, very hard to distill what we know on a, in a very, from, from just all, there's so much, so many different angles of it, of what's going on right now and to distill it into very practical, uh, usable information to help you make decisions on what to do now in the midst of this. It's just a constant changing environment that we're in and why what seems like overblown panic may not be. And yet what is also overblown panic probably is completely unnecessary. What is what? what to deal with. Take some time to read it. You might find it helpful. I've been overwhelmed and just completely not expected the response that I got by email. Just, I had no idea when I sent that out. I did it, I did it for everybody, but I really did it for me to, to unburden this weight that I carried of having this knowledge and realize that people, so many people out there didn't have it. I could tell by the way they were reacting to things. And, and so to, to alleviate my own guilt almost in this, this, this burden of if I don't say something and somebody dies because I didn't say something, then that's on me. I, I did it for that. I did it for you, but I did it for that too. And um, I, I just didn't know what to expect in response. And the response, I, I can't even keep up with the emails that are coming back to me thanking me for it, which makes me realize that I did a good thing and it is helpful. And so if you're listening to this and you haven't yet had a chance to read it, it might be helpful for you too. I put two days worth of morning to night effort into putting it together. <laughs> so for no other reason, you know I write well, go read what I wrote for the entertainment value. So this is this is a great transition into our topic, which is 
whether or not you should share your worldview in in your stories, maybe maybe not so much whether or not, but if you're going to, how and, and what are the potential pitfalls and what are the potential benefits? Before we get to it, let me share something that I've shared before. And that was years ago, I started reading the Travis McGee series from John D. McDonald. And in every single John D. McDonald, Travis McGee book, there's a monologue from Travis McGee railing about the state of the ecology in the state of Florida. And this was years ago, 30, 35 years ago. And that, I didn't live in Florida at the time. So it must have been closer to 40 years ago. I didn't live in Florida at the time. I didn't really understand it all. But I understood the passion where it came from. And it helped to bind me to the stories. And I really looked forward to them. But if I had been a real estate developer reading those books, I would have chucked the first book in, into the trash can and said, this guy's an ass. I never want to read anything from him the rest of my life. And so that's, that's one side of the story. And as you probably know, if you read that kind of books, uh, Travis McGee is an iconic character and the books you know, have worldwide success. And you know, it's, it did not harm the series. Flip side, I have a friend who wrote a, a series of books that I think are really good. I love these books. I can't wait till the next one. And he has a different political leaning than I do. And he chose to use the first book as a platform for his political beliefs. And he started into it before I really liked the characters who were talking and espousing these things. And if I hadn't known him, I would have tossed it in the trash and said, okay, this is not for me. But I kept reading and I really enjoyed it. And I've read them all. So it, it's like there are two different ways. There's on, on one side, it's like I, I read this, I didn't know enough to agree or disagree, and I loved the way it brought me into the story and made me understand the character more. The flip side was, you know, my, my friend who had done this, assuming that we're a 50-50 split in this country, which is pretty close, he alienated 50% of his potential readers right off the bat in the first or second chapter of the first book of a long series. And that seems like a dangerous game, but there, you know, maybe there are some positives to that. So I'm, I'm curious what you think, because I know in your books, you try really hard not to go down that particular path. Yeah, that's true. I do try very hard not to go down that particular path. Um, it really depends on what your goal is as a writer, what your goal for telling stories are. If you don't care about alienating part of your audience, then do as you wish. You know, just if you have that audience, go for it. If you're an aspiring author and you're slowly building your fan base, it might be wise to... Um, I don't know, take into consideration how much you're just using it as a platform to rant and rave. Now, here's, I, I, at the risk of pissing off some of my audience, um, I'm going to 
tell you that for the most part, when somebody gets on a platform or a soapbox and starts, I don't know, pontificating about a subject, it makes themselves feel really good. And it makes people who share that ideology feel really good. And it does absolutely nothing for anybody else except make that make you look um, repulsive. And and I, to what level of repulsion depends on the degree of soapboxery going on. Um, I'm I'm reminded of what was happening during the last election here in the United States, and how there would be people just making videos. There were celebrities making videos and just railing, I mean, very choice words and heated, just anger and disgust being um, articulated in poetic ways or whatever, pieces, performance pieces. And I remember watching one at one point thinking, why are you doing this? Because anybody who agrees with you already agrees with you. And, and you're performing this as if you're talking to somebody who doesn't agree with you, but nobody who doesn't agree with you is going to listen. You, you, you're so angry and so, and your word choices are so, I don't, I don't want to say the word, they're unforgiving that if, if I was them, I would have turned you off within the first three words of what you were saying. So what's your point? Why are, what is, what are you after here? Why are you doing this? Are you just to, to alienate people who disagree with you? Cause all this is doing is making you feel good. It's, it's circle. It's a circle, a closed circle. So it, it feels to me very hypocritical when people do that, or, you know, it, it's the act of doing something but does nothing except make things worse. There's a risk of doing that in your writing. When you feel very, very passionate about a subject, we all, we all see the world through our own lenses. Sometimes that lens is big enough that other people see the world through very similar or identical lens. And there's a, a danger when you're surrounded only by people or mostly by people who share that view to think that that's just the way it is. And to write your characters or your settings or your idea, your, you present ideas as if that is, the world is that way. But the problem is reality is what we make it. And your reality is not the same as everybody else's reality. So if you go into writing something, presenting the scenario as if your worldview is the worldview, you run into a situation of alienating a lot of readers. And now more so than maybe even 10 years ago, there was a time when things were less politicized and everything wasn't, I mean, nowadays, everything, there's nothing hardly that you can't divide between ideal, you could just split it down the middle and 
it's almost guaranteed that one side is going to see it a certain way and another side is going to see it another way. And it's like you're not even looking at the same. You're looking at the same thing, but not the same worlds. Two completely separate worlds. It's like that elephant example of the elephant where one person sees a trunk or one blind. It's the blind man and the elephant. You know, every, every blind man is trying to figure blindfolded man is trying to figure out what this thing is without ever having seen it before. And one thinks it's a tree and one thinks it's a wall and one thinks it's a snake because they only have that part of the elephant within their grasp to, to, to see, feel what it is. And that's kind of what our world is. And there used to be a time when it wasn't quite as bad where you could be seeing a different side of the elephant and still be willing to discuss it. And people will maybe roll their eyes at it a little bit, but they would tolerate it and go on their merry way and still enjoy the piece, whatever it was, without thinking that it was, you're simply trying to make a statement. You can't do that anymore. Now, if you go about it that way, nobody has any tolerance or any forgiveness for just going, ah, shrug. Even people who sort of walk the middle of the road and aren't really hyper swung on one side or the other, they're tired of it. So when somebody gets rolling like that and, and uses their, their platform, their books or whatever as a way to preach, it's not entertaining people would really rather not. They'd rather shut it off. So that is the danger that you run in using your work as a way to vent, for lack of a better word. That said, I've seen some authors do really, really, their audiences grow very, very well because they have found the niche, sort of like that military thriller, terrorist type niche, where they put their political spin on it. They put a hard political spin on it. But those who are attracted to those types of stories are cool with it in that sense because they're expecting that. Um, and those who aren't, who don't want that particular spin in their stories, they have a lot of alternatives to find it somewhere else. But it's like... If you write a specific type of book and you are focused in on that niche and that audience loves it and eats it up, well, then you're fine. Go for it because that's your specific audience. Not every book is going to meet every audience. And just in the same way that we know that um, some people are not interested in some genres, some people who read thrillers would never be caught dead because they don't know what they're missing in reading romance. Um, there are those who love sci-fi and only sci-fi, and that's it. So in that same sense, there are readers who are more tolerant of throwing in your ideologies into the work in a way that you can feel the heavy-handedness of it. And then there are those that don't. And depending on if you find your niche, your audience, where that becomes your shtick and that's what you are known for, then somebody who's looking for that specific thing may find you and you'll be okay. But if you're not in a position where you have that leeway, you probably want to be a, really, a little bit careful. Now, that said, it is impossible to not somehow have the way you think about stuff 
or your own personal take on things enter your stories because that is exactly what storytelling <laughs> is. Mm -hmm. You know, every author who goes in there and writes whatever they're writing, they are putting themselves into that story, not as characters, but it is their ideas. It is the way the way you view the world is what makes your stories compelling. It what it's what makes them unique. And a really skilled storyteller can find a way to introduce the way they think into a story where even those who absolutely would disagree with them and shut them out if they were having a, a, a debate about this or a conversation about this, aren't even aware what's happening on the page. And if you've got that level of skill, go for it. By all means, because that's how you are able to open up a dialogue on something. Not saying that you are necessarily right, but people are actually willing to consider that looking at it that way. And it makes for a much more empathetic world because, you know, not ever talking about something that might be sensitive just makes us all even more trigger happy when we finally do hear it. But finding a way to present what may be a not so palatable subject in a way that those who normally wouldn't be interested in it are willing to at least read it and endure it or keep turning the pages because there's so much else in there, that is storytelling. That is true storytelling. It's not pontificating. It's not soapboxing, right? And that's that ability to take something that maybe is not likable or doesn't wouldn't normally appeal to the audience is how you can have books about serial killers and how you can have books about psychopaths and these domestic thrillers where there are no likable characters and you still can't stop turning the pages. I mean, think about it. Would you like to, well, except for there are those who would answer yes to this question, but most of us, would you like to have, sit down and have dinner with somebody that you know is a serial killer and maybe <laughs> thinking about how to off you? Uh, most of us would be like, uh, no, thank you. That's why we read it, so we don't have to experience it in real life. Um, so if you have something, a, a subject that you're passionate about, that is Yes, absolutely. Um, include that in a story because that's where you're going to get your ideas and your passion, whatever. The danger is when you use it in a very heavy handed way. And as, as I'm talking about this and trying to think, I'm thinking about it more. And I think what it is that makes it a uh, an idea or uh, an ideology or whatever feel heavy handed and will shut out your readership, the thing that turns that takes you over the line is when you start making everything black and white, good guy, bad guy, good guy, because he thinks this way, bad guy, because he thinks that way. Well, then you've just made an enemy of somebody who might actually think the way that your bad guy does. So when you can find nuance in a subject yourself that means you're capable of presenting that nuance in the story in a way that you're not going to alienate your readers. But when you have a very fixed, adamant way of thinking, 
Well, I take that back. You can think that way. If you have a fixed, adamant way of communicating what you're thinking, then it will come across as heavy-handed, and then it will. your reader's response will be, oh, this is one of those guys. No, I don't really want to hear what he has to say. Now, me personally, um, I don't... I try, like, for me, I feel like there are things, I'm always communicating ideas in my, in my stories, because that's, that's what you do as an, as an author. You, you under, you, you have a subject matter, something that you're interested in, and you try and persuade, in a way, your audience to pay attention to this subject matter, and you're, you're weaving that through your stories. And, um, domestic, uh, no, mainstream uh, fiction, sort of women, what they call women's fiction sometimes, it tends to do that a little bit more. Like, uh, I remember a while ago, long time ago, I guess it was just when I was getting started. There was a book by Jodi Picoult, Picoult, I don't know how to pronounce her name that had come out. And, um, I think the subject must've been, there must've been something to do with abortion in it because, like it had a bazillion reviews on Amazon at the time, but like a three star rating and the stars were like fives and ones, <laughs> which meant she picked a very, um, you know, hot topic. And, and there was some characters that were dealing with this subject. I did never read the book, but I remember at the time reading some of the reviews and some of them were so angry and they were like, you know, she obviously has an agenda and she's trying to get you to blah, 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 blah. And that was a very formative experience for me. I was very, very, very new at the time. And what it taught me is that it doesn't matter how careful you are. Now, granted, I had not read the book, but I know that she had written very, very, very many books up until that point and had a lot of fans. And a lot of these reviewers were saying, you know, I've loved all her books up until this one. What it told me is that if somebody has an issue that they feel very, very passionate about, they are going to read whatever they want into what you're saying, no matter how careful you try to be or how nuanced you try to be. They, I, I would imagine that as a storyteller, teller, she had used the same process for all her previous books and whatever topic she was talking about with those but they weren't trigger topics to the people who got angry about this one. So they never noticed it. They only noticed it when it was a subject that they felt very, very passionate about. So it taught me that there are some things you can never get right because there's always going to be somebody who will find what they want to find in what you're saying. And you either have to not write about those things or you have to be willing to take that risk. And that's, that's your choice. But as long as you yourself know that you are writing with nuance and you're not out there pontificating and just trying to impose your worldview on everybody else, you have a really good shot at being able to write a compelling story with the story being the story and not the subject that the characters are dealing with being the quote unquote story. And so there's, you know, there's, it's not a black and white, hard do this or don't do that. It's just, that's what you have to keep in mind is this is the world we live in. What's your goal? What are you after? Can you make it work for you? Great. Do it. If you can, if you can't afford to, then don't. Me, I feel like I would much rather have people listen to what I say. And when I do have something that I want to communicate, that they'll be open to seeing my point of view, even if they don't agree with me, 
So I don't feel it's worth it for me to go off and offend half my readership for the sake of, you know, scoring feel good points for myself. So even if I have something that I feel like I should get on a soapbox about, I'm not going to do it because it's not worth it. It's not worth destroying my credibility. It's not worth alienating people. It's not worth making people feel um, that, you know, I'm on this side or that side because I'm not. So if I'm going to include something that I feel very strongly about in one of my books, I'm going to find a way to explore it with nuance, to, to build it into the characters and make it feel organic in such a way that somebody's not going to feel like I'm beating them over the head with a book or a rule book or a, you know, a tome or a soapbox or whatever. So that's my opinion on it. All right. That was, that was great. And something occurred to me as, as you were talking, and that is the value of having enough early readers to give you feedback on things um, because they will catch, they will catch this stuff. If you have, if you've got 10 early readers, you know, more than likely two or three of them fall on, on different sides of, you know, whatever the issue is on different sides of the aisle. And if you get preachy somewhere and you let them know that it's important to you, if there's something in the book that offends you, um, let me know. And they, they would be a great source for that. We've had, we've had books that we've published before where, uh, for people who don't know, I work for a small publishing company that publishes a lot of books. And we have a, a, a great group of early readers that read through things. And it's the author's choice. You know, they, they get this feedback, and obviously the author can do with it as they please. Um, and it's interesting how quickly that, no, I'm leaving it in, this is really important to me, turns to, tell me again where that was, I want to rip it out when they get one of those reviews <laughs> that shred them. Because they will... They will, 100% of the time, they will happen. If, if, you've, if you've got something like that in there, if enough people read it, somebody's going to one-star you for that, and 900 other people are going to click that they liked it. And so that review will go to the top. Right. And it's not good. No, it's not. I, as you mentioned that, it got me to thinking of other steps that I personally take in my life. And the first is I'm always aware that anything I feel feel passionate about, or I feel is a certain way, that there's going to be an equal number of people out there who think exactly opposite of me. So it right there is a, um, a warning sign, like a yellow light, caution, go slow for everything. Because what that is there to indicate is that uh, not to get on a high horse, not to get all self-righteous and think that you're going to go storm the castle and everybody's going to follow behind you and you're going to chase away the monster or the dragon or whatever, that it may turn out that half the people are going to side with the monster or the dragon, or it may turn out that you're the monster or the dragon. So no, coming from a place of humility, first off, that knowing that you don't know everything and you may be wrong is a really good place, I find, to start. That then causes me to seek out opposing points of view. And knowing the opposing points of view allows for, even if I still feel that I wish more people saw it my way, it allows me to 
integrate the story in such a way or the I, the ideas in a story as if I was writing it for somebody who absolutely was going to disagree with me. And that is diplomacy. That is tact. That is like, hey, I know you think I'm your enemy. Let's sit down at this table and have a meal and drink and play some games. And oh, by the way, have you ever thought about this? And it it allows people a very gentle way to come into your world and see things from your point of view because you yourself, as the author, are already coming to it from a place of humility and awareness that you don't know everything and you may be wrong. And when you when you approach ideas like that through your stories and your storytelling, your writing, from a place of humility, it allows for a lot more nuance automatically. And it doesn't come across as finger wagging, right? And so even if somebody disagrees with you and thinks that you just really are ignorant, think about it in your own life. If somebody comes at you just telling you off and telling you how you should think and what you should do, you're just like, get out of here, get out of my face. <laughs> but if someone's like, you know, I was wondering, I, I kind of think that it's this way and this is the way that I see it, but I realize I'm missing something here. Then you're like, oh yeah, well, um, here's how it is from my point of view and blah, blah, blah. And you can have a discussion, right? And in so many ways, that's what storytelling is like. If you want to include worldview type stuff, if you want to get political, if you want to get uh, preachy about a subject that you're passionate about, if you do it that way, then you really focus on the story instead of just forcing the story to go along with your worldview. All right. That is great. Um, thank you so much, Taylor. Uh, just a personal thank you for writing that. I just keep wanting to call it an op-ed piece, but that, <laughs> that beautiful piece you wrote because it was, it was, I really enjoyed reading it and it was helpful to me. So I personally, I thank you for writing that. And this has been a, a great topic. We had no idea where, the, where this was going to go today. And uh, it, it was interesting. Oh, thank you guys for listening. Um, hopefully you feel the same way Steve does. <laughs> and <laughs> if not, I'm sure I'll hear about it. And uh, we'll be with you again next week.